Rejoice now, all you heavenly choirs of angels. Rejoice now, all creation. Sound forth, trumpet of salvation, and proclaim the triumph of our King. Welcome once again to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. You probably wondered what in the world was that intro? What in the world was that music that we heard at the beginning? Well, if it seemed like an otherworldly experience, that's exactly what it was. What you heard was the exultant. Did I say that right, Pastor? Correct, the exultant. The exultant from the vigil of Easter. We're taking a little bit of a break from our study of the divine service now. We are on episode 11 of At Home in Your Hymnal. And uh, today, and we'll see how far we go in the future, but today we want to begin a discussion with what some people would call the most amazing, the most wonderful, the most memorable, and perhaps the most strange worship service in the entire liturgical year. Uh, My associate, Pastor Moline, has uh, a great love for this service, and uh, I don't know if he's an expert on it, but he's the closest thing to an expert that we have here in Lincoln, Nebraska. So we're going to uh, we're going to have some fun and we're going to listen to parts of the service and we're going to walk our way through it and hopefully pique your interest so that you can join us for the great vigil of Easter worship here at Good Shepherd on Easter Saturday. So, Pastor, give me a few words of introduction this Easter Vigil, put it in the historical context. Um, why is this such a significant worship service in the history of the church? It is such a significant worship service because it is the one that uh, welcomes the resurrection of Christ uh, into the church. It is one of the most ancient services. It's been done uh, since almost the very beginning of the Christian church. Oftentimes it was done in Jerusalem at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where uh, the tomb of Christ actually was. We have it recorded for us by the pilgrim, uh, and I'm going to say her name wrong, Agaria, uh, who went to Jerusalem in the 300s AD, and she records us uh, for us this particular service being performed. It was the service in the ancient church and throughout uh, much of the uh, history of the church where baptisms generally were performed for all adults that were baptized in a year. And so all these things take place in one uh, service as uh, we look forward to the resurrection, as we remember our baptisms, as we remember that Christ is the light of the world who lights all darkness and as we celebrate Easter and usher in a uh, the joy of being a Christian. We're jumping in here at the end, and uh, you may or may not have heard the phrase triduum. Triduum. This is the name for the three days. And the three days that we're talking about here are Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Saturday. So by looking at the Easter vigil service first, we're a little bit out of order, but this service is so significant that we wanted to get this one out there and up and have people get a little bit familiar with it before 
they come to the Easter Vigil and worship. So, Pastor, can you tell us a little bit about the Triduum and the three days and how these three days and the worship on these three days is really one unit in three individualized settings? Yeah, the uh, the sacred three days, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday, are the central events to the passion of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and in the uh, the history of the church, they've all been celebrated as, you said, one service. So at the beginning of the Monday, Thursday service, we would have the uh, invocation, beginning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And there would be no benediction until you got to the end of the Holy Saturday service, the Easter vigil that we're focusing on. Monday, Thursday uh, begins the Passion as we uh, watch Christ institute the Lord's Supper, uh, and we see that that is the beginning of his Passion, which uh, in the, the Lord's Supper, he says, this is my body given for you. Take drink This is my blood shed for you. The next day on Good Friday, uh, we see that very thing that he's promised to take place, uh, and his body is hung up on the cross to die. Uh, His uh, blood is shed, uh, and and so Monday, Thursday begins that with the Lord's Supper. Uh, At Monday, Monday, Thursday service, we strip the altar, reminding us that Christ was stripped naked before he hung on the cross. Uh, Maybe that's enough for those right now. Uh, For a Good Friday, uh, we have two services that traditionally take place. The Tre Ore service, which takes place during the day, uh, commemorating the three hours of darkness during the time that Christ hung on the cross. Uh, The service is called Tre Ore, or three hours, and it commemorates uh, the Passion of Christ, or um, sometimes by reading the whole Passion account from the Gospel of John, or even singing it, uh, and sometimes by remembering the last seven words of Christ preached from the cross, uh, finishing with, it is finished. And then the tenebrae service is in the evening on Good Friday, and the tenebrae service commemorates the uh, uh, the putting of Christ into the tomb uh, and the sorrow and gloom that comes about because of our sin. Uh, and so uh, that's the tenebrae service that takes place on Good Friday evening. And tenebrae is Latin for darkness. Correct. And so much of that Good Friday service service is either shrouded in darkness or the worship area progressively gets darker. And so that is a a major focal point or a major theme with regard to that tenebrae service uh, as opposed to focusing on the words and the time that Jesus spent on the cross in the Treore service. So uh, again, two separate services, but both focusing and fixating, if you will, on the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And that theme of darkness that takes place on Good Friday as uh, the Tenebrae service takes place and we remember Christ being placed in the tomb is what leads then directly into the Easter Vigil itself where we begin in darkness uh, and uh, we gradually move to the light and celebration and joy and happiness of Easter. And we'll talk more about that in detail as we go forward in the, uh, um, the discussion here today. So the Triduum, the three days, focuses on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil. The Easter Vigil is the culmination of the Triduum uh, unit, if you want to look at it that way, the three holy days, the three special days. And 
since many churches are not in the habit of having an Easter vigil service, I know that it is gaining in popularity once again, but since many churches do not have a uh, an Easter vigil or a true Easter vigil service, what they have is kind of the last tiny little bit of the Easter vigil service, and we would call that the Easter sunrise service. Pastor, how does the Easter vigil connect to what many, many Christians, not only Lutheran Christians, but many Christians uh, have grown to love and grown very fond of, this uh, Easter sunrise service where you start the service in the dark and uh, during the service, the sun comes up. Yeah, so traditionally, the Easter vigil service started on Saturday evening and went the whole night through, uh, all the way until Easter morning. Kind of like a Pastor Poppy sermon, huh? It just seems like it lasts uh, forever and ever and ever. Well, I never said that, but uh, <laughs> you know, if the shoe fits. No. Yeah, you've heard it. <laughs> it it uh, so the service traditionally was an all-night vigil, an right. all-night service. Is and that it, correct? It was that way for many of the uh, big feasts in the church year, and so still in uh, many churches uh, on uh Christmas Eve, you have the candlelight service in the evening or midnight mass uh, that goes on, and that was a vigil service as well. Uh, there used to be a vigil service all night for the ascension of Christ as well, uh, and so this is a traditional thing that took place where there was an all-night vigil church service uh, where God's Word was read, hymns were sung, and we focused on a particular event. Now, the Easter vigil uh, began then Saturday night and went all the way to the beginning of the Easter service uh, on Sunday morning, uh, waiting anticipation to watch for the resurrection of Christ. Uh, And uh, at that time, the light came back into the church and all that. And that's the thing. We know that Christ was buried uh, in the tomb before sunset on Friday. We know that all day Saturday he was in the tomb. And we know that sometime before the, the women arrived at the tomb of Christ, that he also resurrected, but we don't know that exact moment, which the idea of the Easter Vigil is, we'll make sure we have church the whole night through so that we're celebrating the exact time, if you will, uh, that Christ rose from the dead. Okay, so uh, before we get into the specifics of the Easter Vigil service, how do you, as a pastor in a church, how do you have a full-fledged Easter Vigil service that lasts, uh, oh, an hour and a half or so, and then turn right around and have the Easter sunrise service. That seems like the two would compete against each other or that uh, you've already celebrated the joy of the resurrection in the Easter vigil service, and now you're going to turn the lights off again for the sunrise service. Uh, Practically speaking, how do you do that? Well, um, I mean, there is that uh, practicality. We were talking about the... Easter uh, sunrise service is uh, kind of a a hanger-on from the old Easter vigil service where uh, rather than have church all night long, we'll just get up early on Easter Sunday and go to church. The uh, Easter vigil, practically speaking today, we do on Saturday evening. We still celebrate the the full Easter vigil, hearing God's word, singing the hymns, uh, turning on the lights, having the candles, the whole nine yards. Uh, And on 
Easter sunrise, it's not wrong to celebrate that again, to rejoice again in the fact that Christ has defeated death and rose and lives and reigns to all eternity. And so uh, there are things that take place in the Easter vigil that do not take place in the Easter sunrise service. For example, the remember of remembrance of baptism, the, uh, we're going to celebrate confirmation, the, all, all the scripture readings that recount the promise of God that began with uh, Genesis chapter 3 and continued throughout the Old Testament and found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so uh, they're not the same service, even though, practically speaking, one came about because people didn't want to stay up all night anymore. Uh, there are different things that occur, and you can go to both of them, as I have the last eight years, uh, and enjoy both. Okay. Well, when we come back from our break, we want to take some time, and we want to look specifically at the parts of the Eastern vi- Easter Vigil. There are four parts, and uh, see how they are unique and separate, and how they connect together all at the same time. This is at home in your hymnal. We're looking at the Easter Vigil service. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Has been banished. Rejoice, O Church of Christ, clothed in the brightness of this light. Let all this house of God ring out with rejoicing, with the praises of all God's faithful people. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places with all our heart and mind and voice praise you. O Lord, Holy Father, almighty, everlasting God, and your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, For he is the very Paschal Lamb who offered himself for the sin of the world. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We're privileged to serve at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. This is episode 11 of At Home in Your Hymnal. We're taking a break from our study of the divine service to take a look at one of the most unique and most wonderful services in the entire liturgical calendar, and that is the Easter Vigil. What you heard at the beginning of our service, uh, the beginning of this particular segment was the preface for the Easter Vigil service. In uh, segment one, we heard the exultant, and you'll get to hear all of those in their entirety as we work our way through this program. Now, Pastor, we did kind of a general overview of the Easter Vigil service, how it ties in as a part of the three days. Now, the service of the Easter of the Easter Vigil service itself is a an emphasis upon light and darkness to suggest that the service begin at a time near or after the setting of the sun. Now this is really difficult because with daylight savings time, uh, this uh, it's almost impossible to start this service 
at or near the setting of the sun. Another one of those practical issues. How did you do things in North Dakota? Well, it's even more difficult in North Dakota. Maybe we were closer to the setting of the sun, but outside it's usually about uh, 15, 20 degrees, and uh, uh, you don't want to start outside. Uh, but uh, we started at 7 o'clock at night. Uh, the sun would be setting, and uh, as we got into the service a little while, it actually was dark uh, in the in the sanctuary and whatnot, but uh, that allowed the uh, the sun to be setting and it to not be bright lights in the sanctuary. And that that's a great thing because it begins, uh, the service does, uh, with lighting of a fire outside and the bringing of that light, the light of the world, the light of Christ, into the sanctuary on the Paschal candle. And that darkness helps to, uh, to carry that idea through. Also then, when we did it, we had all the members of the congregation that were at the service had a candle of their own as well that they lit from the paschal candle and that darkness allows us then to walk into the church in candlelight to hear the first part of the service in candlelight uh, before we blow out the candles and continue in the darkness until the celebration of easter so you had kind of a uh, reverse uh, candlelight service you know we do the candlelight singing on christmas eve at the end of the service here the candle lighting is at the very beginning Correct. And tell me a little bit about this uh, procession into the church and the blessing of the Paschal candle. First of all, maybe you better tell us what a Paschal candle is. Yeah. Um, A Paschal candle is uh, the tall candle that's on a tall stand. You know, many churches, they're maybe four or five feet tall, the top of this candle, maybe even higher. Uh, And uh, this candle represents the presence of Christ, hence the Paschal candle name. On the candle, it has the letters Alpha and Omega in the Greek alphabet, uh, reminding us that Christ is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, as he says in Revelation. Uh, And it also then oftentimes has the church year uh, written on there. Uh, This is uh, the the date that we bless this candle for each consecutive church year. Uh, And it also has a cross on there to signify that Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, is the one who was crucified. And then... Uh, additionally, sometimes they have wax nails. Um, now, with uh, oil candles, you can't do that. Uh, but with wax nails, there's five of them, one for each wound in the body of Christ, one for his right hand, one for his left hand, one for his right foot, one for his left foot, and then one for his side where he was pierced with the spear uh, after he died and spewed forth water and blood. And so that's the Paschal Candle. The service begins with a bonfire outside, uh, bonfire so you're not cold in North Dakota when it's uh, 10 degrees, or here in Nebraska, I know it'll be a little warmer, but uh, uh, you have a bonfire, and you take fire from that bonfire, and you use it to light the Paschal candle, signifying that Christ is soon to rise from the dead and be present among his people again. Uh, And all the people get a piece of that light. Uh, You see this maybe on the news at the uh, Eastern Orthodox um, Easter celebrations when they take the holy fire out of the tomb of Christ and spread it around inside the Church of the Sepulchre. It's not that we're doing an Eastern Orthodox practice, but but we both have this same practice from the ancient church that we've carried on to today in different ways. Okay, so then is the Paschal candle actually carried into the church? Yes, it is. Um, the uh, Here we'll probably have a processional. We'll have uh, the... Um, 
processional crucifix. We'll have the Paschal candle uh, and all the congregation. Uh, they march together into the sanctuary and find their seats as we hear some of the music uh, that we've, we've been listening to as well. Uh, when we get to the entrance of the church building, uh, the uh, the celebrant would chant uh, the light of Christ, reminding us what this candle and these lights are that we're carrying. When he gets to the middle of the church, he sings those words again. And when he gets all the way up to the front, he sings those words a third time. Three times symbolizing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do we sing the words, the light of Christ. Okay, and so uh, after the processional candle is brought in and put in its proper place, then the Easter proclamation or the exultant is sung. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Now, before we listen to it, tell us a little bit about uh, what the exultant is and why it is at this particular point in the service. The exultant is... Another word for it is Easter proclamation. What it is, is it is singing out the words uh, that tell us why we're here. And the reason that we're here is because of the joy that uh, comes to us knowing that Christ has raised from the dead. And so heaven and earth rejoice at this. And we sing that. The heavenly choirs of angels rejoice. All of creation rejoices. All of God's people rejoice uh, that live here in the earth now. We rejoice because uh, the ancient darkness, Satan, sin, death, and the world has been defeated and Christ uh, has raised from the dead and he is now clothed in the brightness of light to live and reign forever and ever without end. Uh, We sing those words proclaiming that's the reason we're at church here on this night. Okay, so uh, if the technology is working for us, we are going to listen to this exultant right now. Rejoice now, all you heavenly choirs of angels. Rejoice now, all creation. Sound forth, trumpet of salvation, and proclaim the triumph of our King. Rejoice to all the earth, in the radiance of the light now poured upon you, and made brilliant by the brightness of the everlasting King, know that the ancient darkness has been forever banished. Rejoice, O Church of Christ, clothed in the brightness of this light. Let all this house of God ring out with rejoicing, with the praises of all God's faithful people. Okay, there you have it. That is the exultant, the Easter proclamation. It is kind of an eerie tune, and yet the contents of this uh, eerie tune are contents of rejoicing. Why are we rejoicing with this Easter proclamation? What is the specific reason for the uh, rejoicing, and what is the wordplay contrast that is going on here? The reason we rejoice is because Christ won and Satan lost. 
and Christ is epitomized by the discussion of the light, and Satan and sin and death and our sinful natures is epitomized by darkness. And so in a way, these words are reflecting uh, John's gospel, where the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Uh, They're reflecting the words of Jesus himself, who says, I am the light of the world. Uh, Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness. All this, this message is to proclaim to us as we come to church that Jesus has risen from the dead and is victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Okay, that's the the major a major part of the service of light in the Easter vigil service. Now, it seems odd to me, Pastor, help me out here, because normally when it comes to the preface and proper preface, we do that immediately following the Lord or immediately preceding the Lord's Supper. But here, this uh, very special, long, ornate Easter vigil preface comes right now, right here uh, as a part of this service of light. What's happening here? Well, uh, it's not that we won't do a preface later on. We will. Uh, But right now, we're also prefacing the entire service where all the sacraments are going to be brought to us. We're going to hear the word, which uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word is going to be proclaimed in its truth and purity. We'll hear long sections of scripture in the service. We're also going to uh, remember our baptism and specifically discuss the fact that baptism has uh, taken away our sin and adopted us into the family of God uh, and that uh, in our baptism we died with Christ. And if we died with Christ, as Paul says we also rise with him. Uh, So we'll discuss that, and we'll also have the Lord's Supper. So all the sacraments are going to be brought to us in this one service, and so we're prefacing that with a special announcement about what's going to happen, and uh, that uh, it's not just the Lord's Supper we're receiving. Everything uh, that God has to give, we're going to talk about and receive in this special service. And I should mention, too, these tunes, uh, the tune of the Exalted and the tune of this special preface, are tunes that have been used in the church from ancient times. So you said it sounds a little eerie. We're singing the same words that Christians for 2,000 years have been singing uh, to the same tunes as well. So we're participating not just here on earth with those in church, but with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who have gone before us. Okay, now we don't have quite enough time to listen to that preface um at the end of this segment, we'll play that preface in its entirety at the beginning of our next segment. So uh, the proper preface in the divine service, right before the celebration of the Lord's Supper, starts out, it is truly good, right, and salutary, or if you use the ancient language, it is truly meat, right, and salutary, that we should at all times and in all places, and then it goes into the specifics for that particular feast day. Now, if it's in the common season uh, during the uh, Sundays in the Trinity season, there are two or three variations, but it's the same every week. When we're celebrating a festival, the proper preface has words that connect us to the details of this particular celebration. What are some of the details that kind of surprise you here, Pastor, uh, as we look at the words to this proper preface? 
Well, uh, what it's doing is it's taking us on a journey throughout all the Old Testament and all the promises that God made back then and finding their fulfillment for us in Jesus Christ. And so uh, it, it's the night when uh, God brought the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. It is the Passover, after all, uh, that Easter is celebrated. And so uh, we're talking about that in this preface, and we're saying we were brought with them in the waters of baptism. Uh, this is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from bondage to sin and restored to life and immortality. That happens as Christ rises from the dead. Uh, the seal of the grave is broken, and morning of a new creation breaks breaks forth out of night. We're talking about that as well, the fact that we'll rise from the dead. Okay, that journey through all of church history, keep that in mind. When we come back from our break, we will hear the Easter Vigil proper preface. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. Don't change that dial. we got a lot of great stuff coming. We'll be right back. And made brilliant by the brightness of the everlasting King. Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy. Pastor Moline, we're looking at one of the most uh, wonderful services in the church calendar, in the church year, the Vigil of Easter, the v- the Easter Vigil service. In uh, segment one, we did kind of a general overview of how this service fits into our Lent and Holy Week celebration. In segment two, we look specifically at the service of light. We heard the exultant, the Easter proclamation, that ancient tune that proclaims Christ as victor over death and the grave. Specifically, the light of the world, Jesus, overcomes the darkness of sin and death. Hence the move from darkness to light in part one of the Easter vigil service. In uh, part two... We have a long section of readings, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But what bridges the gap between the service of light and the service of the readings, the narrative of salvation history throughout the pages of the Old Testament, is this amazing Easter vigil proper preface. And we'll have an opportunity to listen to that in its entirety right now. It is a a wonderful tune. And listen to how we are taken on a journey, as uh, Pastor Moline said, a wonderful journey of faith. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places 
with all our heart and mind and voice praise you. O Lord, Holy Father, almighty, everlasting God, and your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. For he is the very Paschal Lamb, who offered himself for the sin of the world, who has cleansed us by the shedding of his precious blood. This is the night when you brought our fathers, the children of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt and led them through the Red Sea on dry ground. This is the night when all who believe in Christ are delivered from bondage to sin and are restored to life and immortality. This is the night when Christ the life arose from the dead. The seal of the grave is broken, and the morning of the new creation breaks forth out of night. Oh, how wonderful and beyond all telling is your mercy toward us, O God, that to redeem a slave you gave your Son. How holy is this night when all wickedness is put to flight and sin is washed away. How holy is this night when innocence is restored to the fallen and joy is given to those downcast. How blessed is the night when man is reconciled to God in Christ. Holy Father, accept now the evening sacrifices of our thanksgiving and praise. Let Christ, the true light and morning star, shine in our hearts. He who gives light to all creation, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Wow. To, uh, to hear those words sung beautifully, by the way, but uh, to hear those words that trace salvation history, to hear those words that proclaim the significance theologically, the significance of this night, the significance of Christ's resurrection from the dead. There are, are many, many things here, but one that got me. Uh, Oh, how wonderful and beyond all telling is your mercy toward us, O oh God, that to redeem a slave you gave your son. That's exactly what we're talking about, isn't it, Pastor? We who are caught and bound in the slavery of our sin are redeemed by the very Son of God. Thoughts on that? Yeah, and uh, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to sing these words and hear these words on this night when you know that Christ uh, in the next few hours is going to come back to life, you know, if you put yourself in that original situation, and uh, that uh, that means that you'll come back to life one day, that you have peace with God, that you don't have to be afraid of him any longer, that you can stand in his presence uh, without fear as we sing in other places, and uh, what, what a great thing to know that we're going to hear about all the history of humanity now and uh, find peace and comfort and joy 
in who Jesus is and what he's done. Pastor, how is the Easter Vigil uh, a type of reenactment of these uh, special hours 2,000 years ago? And how is it so much more than simply a an historical uh, memory uh, trip down memory lane? Well, in a way, it's a reenactment because we have that idea of darkness and uncertainty that the disciples must have felt when Jesus was dead and in the tomb, and the uncertainty of what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and whether or not their own lives will be taken as a result. But for us, it's also so much better because unlike those apostles, we know what happens on Easter Sunday. Uh, even though Christ had told them that he must rise from the dead, they didn't really believe it or understand it or comprehend what that meant. Uh, we understand it because we're looking at it uh, from the other side of the event, and we can see the fulfillment, and so it's great and good news for us. And we want to make sure it's not just a reenactment, but instead, in these words and in all the rest of the service, God is delivering his gifts. It's not just that we're reenacting or remembering what he's done. In the things we're saying and doing and hearing in this particular service, God delivers forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation to us. And that's the great thing about the Easter Vigil. Immediately following this, uh, this great and awesome Easter Vigil preface comes the service of readings. Now, there are 12 appointed readings for the Easter Vigil service. I know of very, very, very few churches that actually do all 12 of the readings just because we're bound by time. And if we did all 12 of these readings, we would probably have an hour or more just in the readings. The 12 appointed readings are the creation, the flood, the testing of Abraham, Israel's deliverance at the Red Sea, salvation freely offered to all, and uh, that is uh, a portion of Psalm, or uh, Isaiah 55, a new heart and a new spirit from Ezekiel 36, God's faithfulness to Israel, Deuteronomy 31, the valley of dry bones, great memorable uh, Bible passage from Ezekiel 37. Job confesses the Redeemer, and we know this from our Easter hymn, I Know My Redeemer Lives, Job 19. Jonah preaches to Nineveh, Jonah 3. The gathering of God's people, and uh, a reading from Zephaniah. This is one of the few times that Zephaniah, the minor prophet, is one of the appointed readings. That's Zephaniah 3, 12 to 20. And then finally, the three men in the fiery furnace, Daniel chapter 3. Now, according to the rubrics, uh, if you're not going to do all 12 of these readings and have this journey through salvation history, you should at a minimum do four. And the four that are suggested are the creation, the flood, Israel's deliverance at the Red Sea, and the fiery furnace. Pastor, um, you, you served two rural congregations in southeast North Dakota. I'm betting that these congregations had done little to nothing with regard to an Easter vigil before you got there. And this was one of the things that slowly and pastorally you introduced into the congregation's practice. Um, what did you do 
being sensitive to how long somebody's rear end can sit in the pew. What did you do with regard to these 12 readings? Uh, because all of them are great. I don't want to cut any of them out, but for the sake of time, you have to. What did you do uh, in your congregations in North Dakota with this second part of the Easter Vigil, the ser- service of readings? Yeah, uh, the the service of readings is the part that uh, probably gets the the most tedious, if you will, of the whole Easter vigil. And my first year doing it, uh, I was a little nervous about it. I did six of the uh, appointed readings. I did the four uh, that it suggests, and then I picked two others. Some of them are rather short, which is helpful. They're not all long ones. Uh, And so you did four appointed and maybe a couple other short ones, and it helped the service to go along faster. And the first year when I was reading all these, um, doing it by myself before other churches in the uh, circuit joined in and and did the service with us, um, the first year I thought, oh, man, these people are just going to be complaining about how long this is taking and this is going to be so difficult. Get a rope. Yeah, yeah. And I found out after the service that this is the part people really loved, to hear the word and to think about how all these scripture passages find their fulfillment in this day of Easter. And uh, uh, once you start to think about that and you listen and you're paying attention to how these stories from the Old Testament are our stories, it, it makes it such a beautiful thing to hear them and find the fulfillment within Jesus and what that means for us. Uh, and especially important then is that last one from Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're in the fiery furnace and Jesus shows up and keeps them safe from the flames uh, in the fire. And uh, that means so much to us because so often we feel like we're in the fiery furnace, like everything's turned against us, like there's no hope and uh, you know we're just going to we're going to suffer and then we're going to die. And yet Christ is there with us throughout all these challenges and difficulties of this world. And these scripture readings bring that reality to the forefront. Pastor, how did you break things up with regard to these readings? Did, uh, did you have a hymn or a verse of a hymn in between these readings? Did you have the choir sing any pieces? How did this uh, liturgically evolve as you did this year after year in the, uh, in the congregations in North Dakota? Well, the nice thing was later on uh, we had more than one church that participated and more than one pastor. In fact, we had three pastors the last couple of years that we did it. And so one pastor read the scripture lesson, and the way that it's divided up is then you have a prayer that is specific to each scripture lesson in between there. Almost like a, a collect, like the people yes. would be familiar with on Sunday morning. But instead of the collect being specific to the day in the church year, it is specific to the reading that we just heard. Is that a fair way to explain it? That's exactly the way to explain it. And so we would read the creation account, and then we would have the prayer that went with it prayed by another pastor. And you could chant it or you could speak it. It doesn't matter. But that kind of gave you an opportunity to reflect and pray. And there's a pause in between uh, the prayer and the reading as well, so you have an opportunity to consider what that word means for you and your life. And so it's not something that's boring or tedious once you understand what's going on and you realize the fact about how amazing it is that God saves us. The uh, the rubrics call for a psalm or a canticle to be uh, interspaced between the readings. Uh, again, for the sake of time, this was not something that you did. Is that correct? Correct. correct. It, it, I mean, we could do that, but then it also 
six psalms or uh, uh, canticles between there gets to add quite a bit of time to the service. Okay. So we have uh, worked our way through the first two parts of the Easter Vigil. The, se- uh, the third part of the Easter Vigil is what we want to take on when we come back from our break, the service of Holy Baptism. Baptisms happened once a year in the early Christian church. We want to talk a little bit about that when we come back. Don't change that dial. This is At Home in Your Hymn. slave, you gave your son. How holy is this night when all wickedness is put to flight and sin is washed away. How holy is this You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, how wonderful and beyond all telling is your mercy toward us, O God, that to redeem a slave you gave your Son. How holy is this night when all wickedness is put to flight and sin is washed away. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. How holy is this night that all your sin is washed away? That is uh, a certain reference to the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, to salvation accomplished on the cross in empty tomb, delivered to us in the baptismal font. We are looking at the service for Easter Vigil. Invite you to join us on Easter Saturday and uh, experience for yourself the uh, the awe, the majesty, the mystery, and the joy of this uh, wonderful, wonderful service. As we've been hearing parts of this service, I've just been getting shivers up my spine. I can't wait. Uh, this is uh, this is going to be awesome. But uh, as you mentioned before, Pastor, the proper preface for Easter is really a, uh, the Easter Vigil is really a proper preface that uh, invites us to experience the history of the church, the history of God's word, the history of how God deals with his people through word and sacrament. The third part of the um, Easter Vigil service is the service of holy baptism. Now, here at Good Shepherd in the past, we've worked really, really hard to get people to have uh, their uh, their baby or their, their adult baptized uh, on Easter Vigil. Sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. When on those uh, Easter Saturdays when we did not have an actual baptism, we all remembered our baptism by going through the baptismal liturgy again. For the last three years, we've done something, I I think, pretty special at Good Shepherd, and we have had our junior confirmation uh, at this particular point in the Easter Vigil service. So, Pastor, talk about this uh, part of the service, part three of the Easter Vigil service, the service of holy baptism. In the ancient church, the season of Lent was also the season of uh, catechesis. And so uh, in the ancient church, if you were going to become a member of the church as an adult, you would spend the entire season of Lent uh, in confirmation class, if you will, uh, learning the faith uh, from the pastors and from the other members of the church. You wore a special outfit that was kind of uncomfortable to remind you of uh, what you're learning and your sin. And... uh, At the Easter Vigil, you would come to the church 
uh, and you would be outside the actual sanctuary, but you'd come into the baptistry itself, uh, and you were cold, you had these uncomfortable clothes on, and you would uh, uh, take off the clothes, get down, you'd be baptized in the water, and you'd come out, and they would give you a white garment symbolizing the white garment of heaven that John talks about in Revelation. And uh, when you went into the waters of baptism and came out, you were now a member of the church, and you could receive all the benefits thereof. And the very first thing you did after that was you would go into the Easter vigil service and you would celebrate Easter and you'd receive the Lord's Supper at Easter. And, uh, and so all these things in the mind of the ancient person were connected together, which is why then we still have the service of holy baptism in our Easter vigil today. Uh, and we do so by uh, repeating many of the words that we say in our baptismal rite, by praying the flood prayer that we repeat in our uh, baptismal rite, and then also, uh, as we've talked about, we are going to have our confirmation service here as well, which confirmation, what more is it than uh, taking those promises made by God in baptism and reapplying them and reminding people of them as they enter into full membership of the church? Now, one of the things that uh, we do is we look back in the history of the church, and there are times like during this Easter vigil service that it is a marvelous, marvelous thing to remember our history, to renew some of the ancient practices of the church, to teach these ancient practices of the church to our people, and show how they connect us to Christ, his person, and his work. One of the practices in the early Christian church was to delay baptism until the time of the Easter Vigil. And so baptisms rarely took place outside of the Easter Vigil. That is a practice that we have gone away from in the church, and we've gone away from it for very good reasons. So uh, can you talk a little bit how we we went from all the baptisms happened on one day in the church year, the Easter Vigil, to the point where we are now, where generally baptisms happen very quickly after birth or baptisms happen very quickly after adult instruction. Yeah, and I think the difference is is the fact that now in our church, most of the baptisms are for babies. Um, in the ancient church, most of the baptisms were for adults because uh, most people in the world were pagans. And so uh, there would be that time when you brought all of them together and brought them into the church all together and baptized them all together just because, practically speaking, that was easier. Now in our world, because most people brought into the church are babies, uh, it's easier to do them right away, and it gives that certainty and comfort in case something happened to baby and baby gets sick uh, or uh, dies. We have that certainty in the waters of baptism. And so that's, I would say, the biggest thing that's changed in the practice of doing baptisms all at once versus uh, not. And it's not to say that in the ancient church they didn't baptize someone who was converting to Christianity on a deathbed. They would, um, but 90% of the baptisms happened at the Easter vigil service. And uh, you you make a great point about how most of the people who were coming into the church were outright pagans. Sometimes we have these questions about, oh, the early church didn't baptize babies. Well, of course they did, but they didn't baptize a baby and then send it home with mom and dad pagan. Uh, 
they wanted to make sure mom and dad were uh, catechized in the faith, that mom and dad were sure and certain in the faith before they baptized the baby and sent this little baby Christian home so that there would be some hope that the baby would actually be brought up in the faith, in the fear and knowledge of the Lord. Uh Pastor, maybe we are getting closer and closer to that time in our church today and in our culture today when we'll have to rethink some of these things because, quite frankly, we have people who have little or no connection to the church, and yet they have, they have some kind of a thought. Maybe, maybe it's historical. Maybe it's to make grandma happy, whatever. But i got to get that baby baptized with little or no intention to bring that child up in the faith. And I wonder sometimes if we are doing that baby and that family a service by baptizing the baby and then sending that, sending that baby home with mom and dad pagan. Uh, Sprouting a plant and never watering it. There you go. And so these, these are some of the very, very difficult pastoral issues that uh, we deal with. And uh, keep this in your prayers. Prayers for our community, prayers for our society, prayers for church, that people who are lukewarm in their faith would be regenerated and rekindled and on fire for the Lord. So, Pastor, after this uh, part three of the Easter Vigil service, what happens next? After that, we have uh, a litany or a special prayer, and this is the litany of the resurrection. Uh, We've talked before, uh, I think, on uh, Proclaiming the One about how in, in North Dakota, I prayed the litany with the congregation uh, every Sunday service during the season of Lent. And then the, the, the litany that you pray then is kind of a somber prayer, talking about all the struggles going on. Here we have that same prayer, but we change it just enough to make it joyful and happy with the Easter things. And so we talk about the uh, uh, two disciples on the Emmaus Road that saw Jesus resurrected. We talk about the women who saw Jesus resurrected on the tomb. We talk about the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias that uh, caught the miraculous catch of fish, seeing Jesus resurrected. We talk about Peter and the Twelve, and over 500 apostles and James and all the rest that saw Jesus resurrected. And so it's a prayer where everything predicates on the fact that Christ has risen from the dead, and it fits into that same litany format, O Lord, have mercy, O Christ, have mercy, O Lord, have mercy. And it's at the end of this particular prayer that we switch from Lent and move into Easter. And we say the Easter proclamation right after this prayer for the first time, Alleluia, Christ is risen, he's risen indeed, Alleluia, Amen. And it's at that moment that the church lights turn on, and we sing, this is the feast with all the stops pulled in the organ. The paraments in the church are changed from Lenten paraments into Easter paraments, and uh, everything is uh, uh, celebrating the fact that the light of the world has risen from the dead, and in the church, everything we do reflects that as well. So we are really making a transition, not only spiritually, but visually as well, as we see as we see the worship space completely transformed from the darkness of Good Friday to the light of Easter. We have the uh, pyramids changed. We have the lights turned on. We have the organ, which has been uh, maybe a little bit more subdued and somber, now uh, playing uh, 
shaking the dust off the rafters, uh, to use that kind of a metaphor. We are full-blown Easter right here during the Easter Vigil. Is that is that a fair way to describe it? That's absolutely the way to describe it. And, uh, and you can imagine if you're in the ancient church and you've just been baptized in the cold, dark baptistry, entering into the church during this time with all the lights bright and the heat and the warmth and the smells of incense, which we probably won't do incense, but uh, it was a part of the ancient church, and uh, all the singing at the top of their lungs as we celebrate the joy of the resurrection of Christ. And it's just a beautiful, wonderful thing. Okay. Well, we will be celebrating the Easter Vigil here at Good Shepherd as we have uh, for more than a decade. But uh, quite frankly, with Pastor Moline here and not only his love for this service, but his expertise in this service, you'll be seeing some things different this year and hearing some things different this year than you have in the past. So I would just encourage you to Mark that day on your calendar, the day before Easter, Easter Saturday. Um, I know there'll be a lot of things going on. There'll be uh, the early games of Major League Baseball. You'll be basking in the glow this year of the Husker Spring football game. Uh, A lot of things happening, and I would encourage you to... Take some thought, take some time, prayerfully consider making this a part of your worship journey. Seeing for yourself that transition from Lent to Easter, hearing the first time in our church year this year that Easter proclamation. Pastor, we've got about a minute left. Give us your uh, best full-court press invitation for why a Christian should consider the Easter Vigil. Well, and and before I do that, too, we have that uh, change in the church, and we celebrate the Lord's Supper and receive Christ's gift right there in the service of the sacrament as well, and that's how the service then ends. Uh, This church service is one of the ancient services uh, that has been carried throughout all the history of the church. The majority of Christians that have lived throughout all history have gone to this church regularly. It's a way to get all of Christ's gifts succinctly in one service, and it's a great way to celebrate Easter. Uh, One of the uh, favorite services of the people of my churches up in North Dakota was the service. My family and I, we all love this service. Uh, don't miss it. Come celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, there you have it. Come to the feast, the feast of our Lord and Savior Jesus. The this Easter Vigil, the a wonderful service, a unique service, and one to remind you that Christ has brought you from darkness to light. From death to life, from sin to victory over sin, death, and the grave, our Lord and Savior Jesus. We'll be back again with our next episode soon. This is At Home in Your Hymn, God's richest blessings in Christ. That to redeem a slave you gave your son. How holy is this night when all wickedness is put to flight. And sin is washed away. How holy is this night when innocence is restored to the fallen and joy is given to those downcast.